tonight. Um, we're in Revelation again, uh, chapter 21, and verse 4. Revelation 21, verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Last week, we considered uh, two questions together, didn't we? Um, what are we waiting for? Uh, get into the new earth, isn't it? What are we waiting for in relation to the Lord's second coming? And then in the evening, we looked at what is the new heavens and the new earth? But today, we're returning now to Revelation 21 and verse 4, and we're asking, what will the new creation be like? What will it be like? And this verse, uh, the Lord has laid on my heart because it's such a beautiful verse, isn't it? How many of you have turned to this verse when you've been down? When you feel like things are going awry? This verse reminds us that God doeth all things well, isn't it? Well, if you were a young Jewish boy or a Jewish girl, you would have been familiar with the story of the Red Sea, as I'm sure many of you are here this evening. If you're not familiar to church, the Jewish nation were delivered by God, by Jesus even, we're told in the New Testament, from Egypt. And they get, they come to the shoreline. And they've got everything, you know. They've got their bags, they've got their donkeys, they've got their, uh, um, all their goods. They've got their grandparents and their parents and everyone is there. And they come into that shoreline and they get that sinking feeling, don't they? We're trapped. We're trapped. It's a trap. The sea in all its vastness and depth and power lies before them. And what are they going to do? Has God completely abandoned them? Has Moses been tricking them all that time? And you know what happens next, don't you? There's no more sea. There's no more sea. Well, there is sea, but you know what I mean. There's the pathway, isn't it, going through. In our reading in Isaiah 51, the prophet, doesn't he? I don't know if you picked it up in the reading, connects that episode with the Red Sea with the final things. Do you remember? Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 51. Are you not the one who dried up the sea? He remembers, remembering what God has done. The waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over. So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Notice the words that Isaiah is using here. John will use this later, won't he? Look, come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, and notice it's God. I, even I, am he who comforts you. So what will heaven be like? What will the new earth be like this evening? Three things for you, note takers. First of all, it's a place of rest. Are you tired tonight? I'm a bit tired, if I'm honest. Rest. Secondly, healing. It's a place of healing. And thirdly, it's a place of joy. And we get in that, aren't we, from the fourth verse of Revelation 21. 
Are you, yeah, are you tired? I'm serious now. Are you spiritually tired tonight? Maybe you've had a long week. Are you uncomfortable in the pew? Uh, pews are not well known, are they, for their <laughs> comfort? But more than that, you know what I mean. Are you uncomfortable in your soul? Are you aching? Are you disappointed with the life as it's going for you? May I encourage you, friends, to follow Spurgeon's advice. Good old Mr. Spurgeon. Meditate much on heaven. It will help thee to press on and to forget the toil of the way. This veil of tears is but the pathway to a better country. This world of woe is but the stepping stone to a world of bliss. And we know why, don't we? Because he is there. He is there. So first of all, rest. Back in Genesis 5, those early, if the first book of the Bible, Adam's descendants were feeling the effects of the fall, weren't they? Do you remember? They died. They died. They died. It's like BBC News 24. They were dying. They were uncomfortable. They were starting to live shorter lives, weren't they? And most of all, they had to labor now by the sweats of their brow. Genesis 4 and 5 is just like that constant roll of bad news. This hopelessness and toil was there from the word go, wasn't it? Adam and Eve, uh, they have children, don't they? Eve keeps that divine promise in her mind. Your seed, your seed, your seed. We heard that this morning, didn't we? Your seed will bruise the serpent's head. She gets pregnant. There's hope. Cain, murderer. Abel, murdered. Oh, but then there's Seth. I like the name Seth. <laughs> Praise God for the appointed one. And remember what Eve said, and you can hear the mother in this verse, can't you? For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel. It's hope. Would this be the one that would give her rest? Would this be the one that would reverse the fall? Soon after, we're told, men began to call on the name of the Lord, but Seth died, didn't he? 912 years old. But who would be their comfort? Who would be their rest? Verse 28 of Genesis 5, you get this other character coming along, Lamech. Do you remember Lamech, Noah's father? He comes into history, and he seems to have his eyes in the right place because he calls his little boy, not the appointed one, Seth, but rest itself, Noah, Noah, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground, notice, which the Lord has cursed. Would this be the one? Would this be the one that would reverse the curse? Would this be the one that would lead them into a new earth? Well, yes and no, as you know from a few weeks ago. Noah did indeed lead humanity into a new earth, but not the new earth. There was still sin, there was still death. The Jews would have to wait years, many years, for the true comfort, the true rest, to be born of a virgin, to live perfection, 
to die on the cross in our place, to reverse the curse as our Redeemer. You see, our God is the instigator of rest, you see. And it's already started, hasn't it? He sent his Son to be our rest. Jesus himself, I know I've quoted it a lot during this series on heaven, but someone I think in this congregation needs to hear it. I will give you rest. Come unto me, all you who labor, notice, working under the fall. You're sweating. I will be your rest. Our God is a God of rest, isn't he? God rested on the seventh day. I'm glad you're here tonight. You know, that's the basis for the biblical Sabbath when all peoples and animals rested on the seventh day. Exodus 20 and Leviticus, God set aside, didn't he? Days of rest. He even rested itself. He even rested the earth itself in the seventh year. And our great God, the Creator, rested. I wonder what that looked like. I'll leave that there. This is the rest we can anticipate in the new earth. And God ordains it. In the early church, the Romans uh, were romaning around, uh, doing what Romans do best. They were very busy, you know, and uh, conquering half the world. They even reached Wales. And um, you know what struck the Roman soldiers and the Roman citizens as they were marching around thinking they were the bee's knees? was that these group of the way, the people of the way, these Christ followers, didn't, they rested. <laughs> we, we, we must remember that. The day of rest is really unique to Christianity. That was completely foreign to the pagans. Why would we not want to rest then, brothers and sisters? Why would we not want to have a Sabbath? I think part of our inability, maybe, to appreciate the rest that lies ahead of us relates to our failure, I'm sorry to say, as Christians to enter into a weekly day of rest. We're very good, busy people, aren't we? Guard your diaries. Every Sunday points us to heaven and to the one who is our heaven, who is our rest. The Lord Jesus Christ. Rest is good. Rest is good. And I know I'm not going to prescribe what that rest looks like. Apart, you know, on the sab- from the Sabbath day, I like resting by writing creatively, climbing a mountain, taking Seth to the sea. You'll all have a different uh, way of resting. But God ordained that rest is good, you see. You know, rest came about. It was so good, wasn't it, that he built it into creation itself, into the law. God was prescribing rest for sinless Adam and Eve. They hadn't fallen yet. And in the new earth, where we're heading, Christian, brother and sister, there will be no more sleeplessness. How many of you got fans on at the minute in your bedrooms? Whirring away, your thoughts come to you at night. No more sleeplessness or worried-filled nights. Are you worried here tonight? You worried about the church? Or worried about your family? 
Oh, can you imagine a future without worry? Will we sleep? I can't see anything in the Bible that says that we will not. What I do know is that this will be lovely news for some of you, that there will be no more chronic fatigue, that there will be no more seasonal affective disorder or sleep deprivation or nightmares. If we will walk and eat and work and laugh in the new earth, why not sleep? Why not sleep? I'm just leaving it there for you. Are you tired tonight? Have you enjoyed this day of rest? Well, like Adam in the garden, entering the eternal Sabbath does not mean no work. You know, the earth says that it'll just be you're on the clouds, playing harps away. No, no. The curse rather made work menial, didn't it? Tedious and frustrating. Genesis 3, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. In the new earth, however, we will serve him. Serve him. Turn a page. Revelation 22, verse 3. Notice the language there. Verse 3, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Now start paying attention. His servants, that's you and I, shall serve him. That's a verb, isn't it? A doing word. There seems to be work suggested here. So we should assume that we will be able to resume the work that Adam started. Yeah? Do you remember? of exercising godly dominion over the earth and ruling it in God's glory. What that looks like, well, I I might suggest that we're going to sleep in heaven, but I'm not going to dare suggest what that looks like. We'll have to wait and see. Secondly, not only will the new earth be our rest, but it will also be a place of healing, healing. Second part of verse 4 of chapter 21 is beautiful, isn't it? There shall be no more pain. Pain. There are people here tonight, and I'm shutting my eyes now not to look at anyone, who are going through chronic pain. I'm sure that many of you here are going through pain that nobody else knows about. Our Lord does, and He wants you to know tonight that there will be a future where there will be no more pain. No more pain. Many of you have heard of Joni. Um, not Joni Mitchell now. Um, Joni Tada. I think that's how you say her name. Listen to her words here. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down. She had an awful accident, you see will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with spinal cord injuries like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis, maybe you're here tonight. Be encouraged, my friend. Imagine the hope this gives someone as well who is a manic depressive. 
No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies. Let me know if you find one. Uh, I'd be gobsmacked. No other religion promises a new body, heart, and mind. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people, are you hurting tonight, find such incredible hope. Incredible hope. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is a healer. I remember walking down somewhere in the South Wales uh, area and seeing a church which announced that healing would take place tonight. My friends, I do believe God can heal, but oh, Jesus Christ is the true healer, isn't he? And physician. He, when he walked on this earth, he revealed something quite extraordinary about his kingdom, didn't he? We're going to turn quick. Look at Isaiah 61. We won't stay there long. Isaiah 61 looks forward to this anointed one, the Messiah. And what will he do? Just verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, this is radical, okay? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings, notice, to the poor. To the poor. He has sent me to heal, to heal the brokenhearted. It's not just a spiritual thing. Our Lord is come for the poor and the brokenhearted. The Hebrew there is chavash. I'm not a Hebrew expert like our preacher this morning, but I know it means to tie or to bandage. You think of the parable of the Good Samaritan and that kindness. Yes, Jesus is kind. He is so kind. This is the language of the ancient healer here in Isaiah 61. And it's our healer who is preparing a place of healing. Healing. You see, this is the language of, you imagine the healer of old. Think of him with his bag, and he would have had his oils and his balms, maybe the balms of Gilead, to those who are wounded and sore. And there would be kindness shown to those who are suffering. Have we forgotten them, evangelicals? May we never forget the poor and the brokenhearted, those who are sitting on the streets. It's Christians who started those charities that we all give money in, in the supermarket, you know, uh, every Christmas. But remember, there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead, not just to comfort those who are suffering physically. Do you remember the next bit? To heal the sin-sick soul. Christ heals us of our sin, doesn't he? That spiritual song speaks of us coming to Jesus Christ for cleansing and healing from our sin, which is making us very sick and sore. If you're not a Christian here tonight, go to him for spiritual medicine. There is no other way, no other truth, no other healing. Christian and Christian here tonight, that balm of Gilead, that wonderful balm of Christ himself hasn't lost its worth. You may still feel broken here tonight. Have you lost someone recently? Do you miss your wife? I can't imagine that. Do you miss your husband? Are you lonely? Are you frustrated with your dementia? 
Are you teenagers suffering with things that you don't tell anyone in this room? Because I can tell you a psalm. Psalm 147 verse 3. He, he heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. No man can do that alone. No preacher can come to your house and sort you out in a jiffy. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. Come back to Revelation 21. We're, we're moving quickly. I know it's hot. Let's go to a river, shall we? <laughs> Try and refresh ourselves in the streams. In the first verses of 22, John speaks, doesn't he, of a pure river, a water of life flowing and trees. And the healing then is described, isn't it? In verse 2, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now surely this describes a once and for all healing because there's no going to be, it's not, heaven's not going to be this one big hospital or Lourdes where people go with their crutches. No, this is talking about a once and for all healing. There will be no sickness, no pain in heaven. And this wonderful river comes from God and the tree of life seems to symbolize God life giving blessing. I'm not saying that there are no trees, okay? But in this verse, it's God that gives this life. And yet, just because, yeah, a reminder, these function as symbolic. Don't be fooled into thinking that there are no trees and rivers, because I hope, I know there will be in the new earth. The resurrected Jesus invited his disciples to eat, didn't he? Really important verses. He ate. He walked. Remember that. John Bunyan could say confidently, you are going now, said they, to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life and eat of the never-fading fruit thereof. So the new earth will be a place of rest. <sighs> that's what it's like. The new earth will also be a place of healing. How many of you are craving that? That's what it's like. Thirdly and finally, it will be a place of joy. Of joy. Martin Luther, I like Luther, I think we would have got on, famously said, if you're not allowed to laugh in heaven, I don't want to go there. And I think, amen. Strong words from a strong character. But there's something profound there, isn't there? Have you thought about that? God will wipe away every tear, says our text. There will also be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. So the opposite of death is life. The opposite of sorrow is joy. The opposite of crying is laughing. Hallelujah. You know, what a wonderful redemption that even our emotions are redeemed, isn't it? And when our Lord walked this earth, you'll, you'll, we mustn't think of him as a serious dower. Yes, there were times when he was serious. But if we can't imagine our Lord laughing, this isn't, this isn't me, this is a famous commentator, we should start rethinking our theology of the Incarnation. He has, our Lord had emotion. In Mark 7, he walks along that place, doesn't he? He comes uh, across a deaf-mute man. And he's kind straight away. Do you notice what he does? He takes him to one side. 
and he speaks his language to him. Sign language. He's telling him that his father is going to be doing this now. And he's saying what he's going to be doing. And there's a, there's a very moving part in Mark 7 where our Lord groans. He groans. Actually, the original, it's like a snort of a horse. Do you know why he's groaning? Because he's, he's absolutely devastated that his creation is like this. A creation that was meant for laughter and joy. How many tears have been shed in this room this week? Sin has ruined our lovely Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ as creation. Because death has disturbed his life-giving presence. Some of you in this room even now just want me... You're, you're more than hot. You want me to shut up. Because you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But our Lord, he loves you. He gave himself for you. He cried for his friend, didn't he, when he died, notice. Death. Ah, death. He says in Luke 6, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, you shall laugh. It's about time the Christians smiled again. You know, we're, we're on victory side, aren't we? By God's grace, we can laugh on earth now. But don't be fooled into thinking the laughter is somehow unspiritual. That's, that's an ancient form of Catholicism. Don't, to frown is to be more spiritual. No, no. <laughs> My friends, that's not heaven, is it? Yes, we live in a veil of tears. Yes, things are tough. And yet we're told in Luke 6 that one day we will be satisfied. And full of joy. Full of joy. One of Satan's great lies is that God and goodness is joyless. Young people, don't believe him. I'm so happy now. Happy are they who's, you know, those hymns are talking about um, joy, aren't they? That deep contentment. It's sin that brings tears. Christian, how many times has your week been ruined by falling into sin? You know what I'm talking about. You know that when you say a bad word about someone behind their back, God seems to move away. Oh, my friends, Lord Jesus, on the other hand, is kind. He's the bringer of joy. He's the bringer of life. Are you like him? I'm coming to an end now. Coming to an end. Why will we be happy? We'll see him. 1 Corinthians 13, face to face. You see your loved ones again. Remember that. That's really important. I'm going to see my grandfather again. How do I know that? Matthew 8, 11. I'm not just being sentimental. I say to you, the many will come from east and west. Notice, sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I believe that we will enjoy music, dancing, storytelling, art and books. Revelation 8 and 15 speaks of trumpets and harps. They're not necessarily figurative. I believe we will enjoy sports there. But this is me now, all right? This is not the word of God. Sports is not inherently sinful. Imagine the joy, older brother and sister, of playing a game again. 
travel, exploration, research, these are all things which bring us joy now. Why not then? I'll leave that with you to finish. Spurgeon again, just as our Lord has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us, so we, his people, are stopping here to prepare a place for him. How are we doing this, Heath? Are we seeking the lost? Are we shining? Are we? Be honest now, are you really shining? Are we spreading comfort, healing, joy on all sides by the power of the Spirit? Are we being like Jesus? Spurgeon goes on, so we are helping to make the world readier to receive the great King. We are seeking out His jewels. We are bringing His rebellious subjects to His feet. Christian. But unbeliever, another week, and I've come, I'm getting, I think I'm at the end of my series. <laughs> I believe so. Another week, but it's another sermon, another year. Another day has gone by. Don't wait until the end. Don't wait until it's too late, okay? I beg you, I really do. Turn to the end of the Bible and let's listen to what Jesus says through his word. Look at verse, uh, verse 17. Jesus, well, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. It is he who has been speaking to you. It's not the preacher. This is his word. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who thirsts come. It's really serious, okay? This isn't figurative now, all right? <laughs> let him who hears. Are you hearing me? I can, I can shout louder, but I'm keeping it low. Let him who hears say, come, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come to Jesus Christ before you die. Before you die, come to Jesus as you are. Sick and sore. Come to him, for he is our comfort. He is our joy. He is our healer. Come to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the gospel, that it's such a wonderful, wonderful story of Jesus and his love. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you as we are. We don't have to tidy ourselves up. We don't have to be somewhere, we don't have to change into something. No, we come as we are, full of sin and sorrow, because only then can we be comforted, only then can we be healed, and only then can we have real joy. Come unto me, Christ said, for he is the way, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Come, come, come. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll finish by singing 604, Love Divine or Love's Excelling, Joy of Heaven to Earth. Come down. Let's, let's, I know it's hot, right? But we're worshipping our God here this evening.
So let's try and um, sing with all our hearts. 604, if you're listening at home.
thank you for the bridegroom. Thank you that he is coming for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us, that you did not pass us by. Lord, we look forward to that new heaven and new earth where righteousness shall dwell and the bride will be spotless and without blemish. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of our pure, clean and holy spirit be with each one of you now and this week and forevermore. Amen.